You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey friends, welcome to episode 13 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I'm going to be telling you about companion planting. Just like you and your sixth grade science class partner, plants have a tendency to do better with some plants than others. And so companion planting is all about finding those symbiotic, those beneficial relationships between plants and planting those together and avoiding those detrimental or bad partnerships when it comes to planning your garden layout. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. But first, we'll hear from today's sponsor. So right now, for me, it is August, mid-August, and I am starting to kind of pull up those um, late spring and summer crops and starting to plant my fall crops. And right about that time is when I start to get kind of itchy fingers and want to start planning my next year's garden layout. And when you're planning your garden layout, it's important to take into consideration companion planting because it is something that can definitely help you, one, prevent pests, two, help the plants grow better, and three, help kind of keep plants happy in terms of how much nutrients they're getting from the soil. So what is companion planting. Some plants do extra well when they're planted next to certain companions and they do poorly when situated next to others, like I said in the intro. A really classic example of companion planting would be when the North American Indians would plant corn, beans, and squash together. They called this combination the three sisters and that's because this combination worked really well together. The beans are nitrogen fixers. They have a special enzyme in their roots that's able to break down the non-soluble sources of nitrogen in the soil and convert it into soluble sources of nitrogen that the plant's roots can take up. And not only the bean plants are able to take up that soluble nitrogen, but other plants nearby, like the corn and the squash, are able to take up that soluble nitrogen. And corn and squash are both really, really heavy feeders. They both really need a lot of nitrogen during the growing season. But in addition to that, Corn grows in tall stalks, and a lot of different varieties of beans can use those stalks as support for climbing. So for instance, you have pole beans, and those like to kind of like wind around. You know, a lot of times in the garden we'll use um, bamboo stakes, but if the bean is perfectly happy growing a corn stalk instead, well then you don't have to buy bamboo stakes, right? You can just use that corn stalk. And then finally, the squash has big, broad, thick leaves that serve as almost kind of like umbrellas. They shade the soil from the sun and they keep the soil cool, making it slower to dry out. 
And this keeps the corn happy because corn has a really shallow root system. It kind of lives in that first inch, inch and a half of soil. And so it's really susceptible to soil drying out. And it's much happier if that soil is well mulched or shaded by, say, the leaves of a squash plant that's grown at its base. It's kind of logical when you think about it, right? So you're probably asking, awesome, this sounds great. How can I use this to my advantage in my own garden? Well, I'm going to give you some really, really easy combos for easy to grow vegetables. If you're not to the point where you're wanting to try out, you know, corn and, you know, winter squash and beans all at the same time, maybe you're starting with just like one or two vegetables and that's totally okay. I'm going to give you some examples where you can still use companion planting and you can still benefit from the idea of companion planting. These combos are all two plant combos. They're all for like I said, easy to grow kind of beginner vegetables or herbs. The first example would be cucumbers and a flower or a flowering herb. A lot of beginning gardeners don't realize when they first start to grow cucumbers that cucumber vines have male and female flowers. So unlike a tomato, where you get just like a little bit of wind and this, the flower kind of self-pollinates and creates a tomato. You need a bee to visit the male flower and then follow that up by immediately next visiting a female flower and pollinating it. And from that female flower comes a cucumber. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times, just the cucumber flowers themselves aren't enough to draw a lot of pollinators. And you're going to want to plant something next to it, give it a companion that has a ton of blossoms that have a really good record for drawing lots of pollinators. And one of those plants is borage. Borage is a flowering herb. It gets pretty big, so you should know that. It gets pretty tall. It gets around, I would say, three feet tall. But it gets it's covered in these beautiful bluish-purple star-shaped blossoms that bees and all kinds of pollinators just love. And they kind of buzz all over them. And then eventually they'll kind of wander on over to your cucumber flower vines as well. So you end up with more matured cucumber fruit. The next example, easy example of companion planting would be tomatoes and basil. So it's not just for caprese salads. It actually is a great combo in the garden too. Now, some gardeners like to say that you get better flavor from your tomatoes when you grow them next to basil. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't done an empirical scientific or even a taste test to tell you whether that or not that's true. But I can tell you that the strong scent of basil does tend to keep away some pretty common um, tomato pests. So especially like tomato hornworms, basil is really, really strongly scented. I mean, all you have to do is just pick a basil leaf and your fingertips are going to smell like basil for the next, I don't know, hour or two. Those really strong smelling volatile aromatic compounds are what kind of tend to drive away pests. Pests are like, nope, no thanks. I don't want any part of that. And it has a tendency to like overpower any sort of tomato scent and far fewer pests end up on your tomatoes as a result. And then you can pick your tomatoes and you can pick your basil and you can make yourself a caprese salad. So you're happy for a couple different reasons, right? You have fewer pests and you have a delicious salad out of it. 
Another really great example of companion planting would be squash and nasturtium flowers. If you're not sure how to spell nasturtium, it's kind of a long word. If you go to my website, beandbasil.com, and you search for companion planting, you'll come up with my post about companion planting, and, and you can find how that's spelled and find some pictures of what it looks like. But the first year I grew squash, I had miserable luck, and it's because... The squash that did come to maturity got like burrowed into by pickle worms. It sounds kind of funny, but they're these teeny, teeny, tiny worms that burrow through the skin of your, you know, winter squash, especially. And then they just kind of are fat and happy living in the inside of your squash, eating away. And you kind of don't realize it until you go cut it up and it's ruined and you can't eat it. Um, Nasturtium is a flower that actually repels a lot of vegetable pests. For instance, I also have problems with squash bugs. Squash bugs, otherwise known as squash beetles, are a terrible problem here. And nasturtium flowers will actually kind of help keep their population down. It's something that I'm planning to companion plant for next year because they're getting a little out of control in my area. Not only that, but nasturtium attracts pollinators to your squash blossoms as well. Squash is another plant like cucumbers. It is a cucurbit, and um, cucurbits have male and female flowers. It is worth noting that nasturtium likes to sprawl, so what I like to do is I like to grow my winter squash vertically, and then at the base of that trellis, I, which is where you know all of the, the squash beetles end up in the first place, is where I grow my nasturtium flowers. And the cool thing, though, is that nasturtium um, leaves and blooms are edible. So it's not just, you know, a pretty flower that keeps pests away. Nasturtium flowers and, and leaves can be added into salads. They're really pretty. They have almost kind of like a cucumber flavor to them. Another example of companion planting, strawberries and onions. So a lot of beginning gardeners are like, ew, that does not sound great together. And won't like the taste or smell of my onions affect the taste of my strawberries? And it's funny because when the more you learn about gardening, the more you learn that that that's never going to happen. Um, that's that's you know plants don't affect each other that way, but they do affect pests that way. So if you've got little furry things like chipmunks and squirrels running around your berry patch, kind of snatching up the perfectly ripe berries before you have a chance to get to them, sometimes planting onions in and among your strawberry plants can help discourage them. Because if you'll notice, if you've ever planted onions or garlic, no pest will mess with onions or garlic. No bug, no furry creature. They hate the smell of any allium plant and you know so that goes for onions that goes for garlic that goes for chives and they they just hate the smell and so a lot of times planting those onions throughout your berry patch especially strawberries and um, can really be really beneficial next up would be beets and brassicas so brassicas are a family of plants that include things that like cold weather so like broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts cabbage they all have kind of have that sulfury cabbagey flavor to them when you really think about it so beets and those kinds of plants 
go really well together because brassicas need a lot of food, a lot of nutrients from the soil in a very short time, right? They have to grow very, very quickly in order to mature before the weather gets too hot or if you're growing them in the fall before the weather gets too cold. By contrast, beets aren't heavy feeders. They're pretty slow growing like most root crops. And not only that, but they also send up these tall, wide greens that can go up and catch the sun and they won't be overwhelmed by these brassica plants and their big spreading leaves. So a lot of times if you try to interplant things among your brassica plants, you'll notice they don't grow very well because the brassicas kind of like hog up all the sunlight. But beets, you know, they can grow really tall, wide leaves and they can kind of hold their own in that way. Carrots and onions are another great companion planting example. Since they're both root crops, they don't need a whole lot of extra nitrogen. And since carrots don't bulb out like onions do, you can fit them in pretty small skinny spaces. So like let's say you have a row of onions and you know you have some spaces here and there in between them where you really feel like you could fit a little something more. Um, a carrot would be a really great idea to try and squeeze in there if you're trying to make the absolute most out of the space you have available to you. And like I said before, pests do not like onions. So if you've got your carrots sown in the middle of an onion patch, the chances of a rabbit or a deer coming up and nibbling you know, your carrot greens down to the ground are actually a lot lower because they're gonna smell all those onions and they're gonna be like, no, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Peppers and tomatoes, a really, really good example. So they both belong to the nightshade family and they get along really well. The only thing that you have to watch out for is that they both attract tomato hornworms. And it's funny because a lot of us think, oh, well, if these plants are really similar, I know they'll get along, so I'll just plant them next to each other. The only problem with that is that they tend to attract the same pests. So if you plant your tomatoes and peppers together, just keep an eye out for those chubby green caterpillar unicorns is what I like to call them because they have, they, they have the big horn on them. And they kind of look like a weird cross between a caterpillar and a unicorn. Finally, catnip and eggplant. This is really beneficial if you have a cat because then you can have your eggplant and you can entertain your cat with the catnip at the same time. But eggplant is a magnet for flea beetles. They are these teeny tiny little black beetles that are not actually fleas, but they jump like fleas do and they congregate all over the leaves and they eat these teeny tiny pinholes in the leaves and they can do a lot of damage over the course of the season. But these beetles hate the smell of catnip. And so if you grow catnip near your eggplant, it'll help discourage those flea beetles. It'll keep them off of your eggplant leaves. And that will allow your eggplant to grow a lot faster, a lot easier if they're not having to constantly deal with pests eating at their leaves, disturbing their photosynthesis process. So that is it. Like I said, a bunch of different examples for easy to grow plants um, that, that you can try out companion planting in your garden. 
I hope that this episode has been helpful. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to review, tell your friends about it, leave a comment on my blog at beandbasil.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find me at beandbasil on Instagram or Facebook and send questions to me there or share pictures. Again, I'd love to see what you have growing. So until next time, I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.